God's people said. Genesis chapter 22. Thank you, ladies. Genesis 22. Look at God's word today and think of the perfect provider. Genesis 22, the perfect provider. In Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14, we read these words. Sometime later, God tested Abram, and Abraham rather, and said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him, and there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, replied, Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, son. And two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story. It is one that... Uh, churns within us, especially apparent uh, thoughts of how how could we do that, and and yet you, through him, teach us a story that you will provide. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> As you can hear, my voice is a little better, uh, not quite 100% yet. So bear with me occasionally, Pastor had uh, received an offering uh, that was designated for the, for the poor in his community, and he had in mind someone that he wanted to, to bless that offering with. And so he went to the house of uh, a widow, and, and he looked and he saw the windows were open, plants were on the, uh, you know, the, the door frames, and he could see that people were living there, and, and so someone I know is here, he thought to himself. But he began to knock, and he knocked, and he knocked, but no one ever answered. He just knew somebody was home, but nobody ever came to the door. And so he left and went home. The next day, he came back, and that time, the widow opened her door, and she was apparently upset, you know, because of what had happened. And and he asked, well, what happened? What was wrong? And she said, well, honestly, I was afraid of my landlord. Uh, He, you know needed money from us we didn't have the money and I didn't want to answer the door or let anybody know that I was home 
And he said, I, I guess I can understand that. She said, I was just too afraid to answer the door. And then she shook her head and, and said, because of my fear of the landlord, I almost lost out on a blessing. I was so afraid I wouldn't even open the door for God. I think that's the way sometimes we approach life with a fear and a lack of belief or trust that God will provide. We look to the disaster. We look to the failure. We look to the bankruptcy. We look to the fear when we should look on counting on God. Instead of looking to God to be the provider, we focus on the situation as opposed to the as opposed to the one who can solve the situation. It's not enough to see God as a provider, one way out. We must see God as the provider, the only way out. That whatever happens, God is in control and God is working through to give an answer. And I think like Abraham in the story we read, we need a, a fresh revelation, if you will, uh, of him as Jehovah Jireh the provider, the one who provides. Before he ever got to Mount Moriah, I think Abraham understood that God was going to provide. Because when his son questioned him about it, what did he say? God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. I think he also interpreted the words when you read what he said to his servants, the boy and I will return. So there was some faith in his mind, even though he knew what God... Nobody had been resurrected at that point. I guess he, he, he was one of the first believers in resurrection because if he thought he was going to have to kill his son, his son was still going to come back with him. He believed that's what God was going to do. God could do anything in his mind. He didn't know exactly what he was going to do, but he believed that God would provide. But how many of us know what we need is not merely a mental understanding of God but I believe a revelatory understanding of God. Not merely thinking about God or knowing about God as the demons do, but having an experience with God that's revelatory. I know him because he's revealed himself to me. I know him personally. I don't have just an idea about somebody in a book, but I know him personally internally because he is my Savior and he is my Lord. And it's that deep revelation, I think, that impacts the way that we act and the way that we think, or at least the way that we should think. So when, when God was finished with Abraham on that day, Abraham left a memorial. He left a stand as a constant reminder that the living God called Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide, is someone we can remember and count on. So when I look at that story and I think about it, I think that revelation that, that God is Jehovah Jireh is revealed in what he does for us. Again, not merely reading a characteristic about God. I can read the, the attributes of God from the Bible. I can look in the hymnal and find attributes to sing about God. And even though I may know all of the attributes, maybe I've got them all memorized, I can alphabetize them and tell you what the attributes of God are. It's those attributes that you've experienced that mean something different in your life and this one that you can count on God because he's a provider. We encounter a person, not a principle, not a definition or teaching. I know him as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And as I walk away, 
I remember him as that. It becomes fixed in my mind. That's who he is. He is the provider I can count on. But I think sometimes we can lose sight of all that he is. He is, and I wrestle with trying to say this, he is not just the provision, he is the provider. It's not just what I get from God. Let's say I needed that money like the widow. Oh, I got the money. You know, great. God is not the money. He's the, he's the provider. Why is that so more significant? I think it is because I, I interact with him as a person. And I understand who he is and I can count on him. If I'm merely looking for an answer and getting something, uh, I may be able to do some things myself. And I'll misinterpret how I got what I have and think that it's the solution is something, the solution is someone, and that is God as provider. So I think in this, this we discover him and his provision, but that power of who he is as Jehovah Jireh. Uh, and, and I don't think that's a shallow understanding. I think it's deeper than that. Why do I say that? Why do I say he's perfect provision? Well, I want, to think, I want you to think of it like a diamond for a minute before we get to all the points. And there's just three points and some sub-points when we get to them in a second. But I want you to think about him as Jehovah Jireh in his perfectness as a provider. And as you begin to turn that diamond of his perfectness in provision, you see different attributes, even of that. First of all, I think he's perfect in his timing. It's never early, never late. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, he acted. He is provider at the perfect in his timing. I think he's perfect in his method, how we need it. We, you know, we're people who go, God, I don't know how my, how's this going to happen. He knows. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows the perfect method to make something happen. I think he's also perfect in his supply, always just what we need. We even don't know what we need sometimes, God. We, we pray that. God, I don't know what I need. But he does. So he's perfect in his supply. I think he's also perfect in his strategy and the way that he fulfills what it is he sends to us. God knew ahead of time you would be born and what you would need in every step of your life. He is perfect in his strategy and he's perfect in its identity. Uh, the way of knowing what it is we need and coming to an awareness of that, that he perfectly identifies that it was him who fulfilled the provision that we needed so that he gets the glory. I mean, that's what the Bible talks about. All the glory is his. And so it's going to be clear to us that the answer that came, the provision that came, whatever it is that we're seeking, is from God. So with that in mind, I think my prayer to you and to me tonight is that we don't leave this place without an understanding of who Jehovah Jireh is. First of all, God's provision is prophetic. God's provision is prophetic. God's provision is perfect because of God's ability to see tomorrow as if it were today. Uh, he can look at it. He can see it. He knows it from the beginning ending. He is above time. He's over time, under time, around time. He made time. There was no time before he made it. It was just chaos. And the idea of Jehi Jireh holds a, 
a twofold meaning in Hebrew. First of all, it means to provide, but secondly, it can mean to foresee, to know ahead of time. I believe certainly is within God's venue to do that. And I, I think that is suggested when you look at verse 14 in the King James Version. You read it a little bit differently than the NIV that I read before. It reads this. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. King James author, or, or translators rather, uh, translated that word a little bit differently because of the context in which it was written. Uh, Sometimes words can be used in different ways, and they saw it a little bit differently. I think, in this case, King James is closer to what the original intent was. Uh, that, That at this place, you will see God provide. And that is something to to walk away with in the fact that he is prophetic uh, in his provision. Abraham was saying, I think in the declaration, he knew that God saw it yesterday, and because he saw it yesterday, he has provided today what is needed. Underneath that same idea of God's uh, provision is, is prophetic. I think he provides before there is ever a need. And that's, as I was younger, I didn't get that, that, you know, God didn't magically make it happen right in front of me. Uh, that, that I needed something, but that God, before I even asked a prayer, was in the process of providing what I was going to need. Where did the ram come through from anyway? Did he just create a ram and stick it in the thicket? No, I, I think that a few days before Abraham had reached the mountain, some shepherd somewhere lost a ram. It walked away. It was already there, and and it was a perfect ram because it met the qualifications to be used in a burnt offering. And so not only did it get lost, it was perfect to be used. And you look at that, it can't be mere chance that that happened. I mean, Abraham said God was going to provide. He didn't know how it was going to happen. But here in his provision, you see that God had been preparing it all along. Before man was ever shaped from the dust of the earth, God said he already provided. When you look at Romans 13, verse 8, you read these words. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, Revelations 13, I mean. When you look at that passage of Scripture, it was already planned. Before you drew a breath, before we were even created, the plan was already there because God is Jehovah Jireh, the provider, the the one who can see in advance. And I think he knows what you'll need tomorrow, and he's already prepared that provision for you leading up to it so there are prayers you haven't even prayed yet that god has already answered you just don't know it i think b uh under under that same idea um is is this that often he provides before there is ever a prayer that's what i'm suggesting before how overwhelming it must have been to even consider to do what Abraham was asked to do. Take your son, go to the mountain, and offer him to me. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I have children. I can't, I, can't even, you know, I can't even imagine what must have gone through his mind to, to even think about doing it, let alone tying his son up, putting him on the wood, and getting ready to sacrifice him. I mean, it, it wasn't a fake thing. It was, it, you don't get the impression he's going, 
I know he's going to say something in a minute. It was like he got ready and then God stops him because he, he says, I realize you did not withhold your son. But to think of that, I, you know, I think also in the Old Testament of Esther, you know, she goes to King Xerxes and she walks in and everybody's warned her, you know, if he doesn't, you know, nod to you, you're dead. You don't just walk in on the king. But she had to do that. She knew it was the right thing to do and she did it. I think we have ample example in the Old Testament of people who knew the thing to do and yet it took a lot of faith in God to do it, didn't it? I think it did. Abraham didn't have a a single idea, I don't think, at first. I I don't believe he knew what to pray in this matter. He just knew how to respond to God. I don't think we know what to pray sometimes. And yet God doesn't withhold his provision because of our ignorance does he the bible talks about how the holy spirit interprets for us in the the groanings that we have when even we don't know what to pray for he interprets for us to god what we what we need what it is that we need we have a loving heavenly father who will often surprise us with exactly the thing that is needed i also believe that that god can even hear tomorrow's prayer said if he knows it all already if he's foreseen it all if he's a god that foresees then he knows what you're going to pray for and what you need i know that's true because in isaiah 65 in verse 24 we read these words and it shall come to pass that before they call i will answer i love that verse i i remember that verse first time i read it i just you know before they call will I answer what a God we have it's not that we go up and we talk to God and he goes oh man I didn't think about that I'll see what I can do about that I'll get back with you no he knew in advance before they call will I answer don't stop praying I mean (laughs) it's like well I don't need pray then no obviously not pray God still desires to hear what we ask for he wants to hear us communicate with him as a loving father but don't be surprised to discover that what you've already prayed for the answer had already started before you even thought about that prayer I think number two God's provision is productive God's provision is productive God will often take us through a process that will bring us to that provision and I think it is that process that changes us Do you think Abraham was changed after this process? I believe he would be. It would change me. I would certainly trust that God knew what he was doing and would take care of me. I think we're blessed by how the provision comes into our lives often more than the provision itself. Isn't it the journey sometimes that changes who we are? You need something, but it's the journey to get to that something that changes who you are as a person, radically changes your belief in God or your trust in God, and and in the end, you finally get what it is that you've been praying for or what you've needed or what you surprised you you didn't need, but you got it anyway, and then in the process, you have discovered how to trust God more. It's not because you got the provision right away that changed who you were it was the process to get there it was the times that you prayed and the time that you wrestled with what was going on and ultimately when you got there you were a changed person everything that God gives us I think comes with a higher purpose we are here to work out our our salvation in fear and trembling right 
this is a, a testing ground, as it were. You know, we're, we're, we're working out, <laughs> you know, like at the gym. It's God's gym. The earth is God's gym. And we get stronger as we deal with these situations and we discover that there's a higher purpose. Abraham wasn't already, I don't think, ready for the provision until he had been changed by the process. It changed who he was. I think on, on the same way to our provision, we'll become worshipers. You look at his story and you look at the experience. Abraham made it clear to everybody, what was he going to do when he went up there? The lad and I are going to do what? Worship. We're going to worship God. I don't know how he could say that on the way up to know what he was going to do, but that was his attitude. I'm going to worship God in the midst of this. To, is it any wonder the Jews look back at Abraham with awe and reverence that someone in the midst of this could worship God the sacrifice wasn't an act to appease an angry God of the Jews it was not an act to appease God it was an act of worship and adoration that was the difference that's how he could go there and prepare to do what he did not to appease God but to revere and adore God that's why it was a burnt offering that is beyond my thought process but that's what he was doing are we willing to worship God are we willing to see the provisions in our life in the same way are we willing to give it all to him now I'm not asking you to go find a child or grandchild that's not what we're talking about but everything else are we willing to lay everything on the altar as an act of worship to him, God, here am I. Just like Abraham said, here am I. I and he was saying, all that I am is here for you, God, is an act of worship. Or do we hold back something? Now, you may not visibly or verbally say, I'm going to hold this back from God and God will never know. I wish, you know, you would. But, but maybe internally you wrestle with things that you're not really willing to give over. And I think that's where I talk about, are we willing to lay it all on line? line? Are, are we willing in the lean times and disaster times, in the times of loss, to lay everything before God? Those who know the security of his provision aren't afraid to worship him beforehand. I can trust God, and I will worship, worship him in spite of what's going on. When I went through cancer back in 2000, and please don't take this the wrong way, I'm not, I'm, I just know that's what the Bible said. I went to Job and I looked for a place that I could find that I could attach my experience to. I needed something from the Bible to help me understand where I was at. And it was when I found Job, and he said, Though he slay me, will I serve him? And that became to me a verse that I kept. It helped me to interpret what I was going through. And I wanted that to be how I viewed what happened. I don't know if you know the story about John Wesley. His father's name was Samuel. He was a dedicated pastor, and uh, he was in a parish where not everybody liked him. It happens occasionally. And, and it was in, on, on February the 9th, 1709, apparently a fire had been set in the rectory where they lived. And Epworth is, is where it was in England. And it looked like it was set by people who didn't like him. Now think about that. The people who wanted to drive him out set fire to his house. 
All of his children got out except for his six-year-old son, John Wesley. You know, John Wesley, who he is. He was in the second story, and he couldn't get down, and he was barred because of the fire. And so some neighbors got up on top of each other's shoulders, and just seconds before the roof crashed in, they reached up in enough time to grab him from the second story and pull him down. Samuel Wesley was quoted as saying this to the crowd that was there that day. Come, neighbors, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He has given me all my eight children. Let the house go. I am rich enough. Wow. I have everything. I need. God's given me everything I need. John Wesley, a number of years after that, went back to this, and, and he, he described himself as a brand plucked from the fire, and he quoted Ezekiel and Amos because of those. Other years, he, on the February 9th, would worship and thank God for his mercy. Samuel Wesley labored another 40 years at Epworth, saw very little fruit, but my, what his family accomplished through John Wesley. I think that's the kind of person that understands God's provision. Do your children and friends know that you have confidence in a Jehovah Jireh, a God that provides? On our way to provision, I think we become givers. When I, when I look at this passage, I see how God, his character does affect who we are. Because he is generous, we in turn become generous too. Because he can give, we can give. When we're truly, I think, realize that God is our provider, we are not afraid to let go of what he has given us. I'm willing to give away what I have because God has been good to me and I believe he will continue to be so. I think God will use his provisions to test us. People talk about all the time how a number of people receive great wealth and, and they, some waste it away. I think it is a test when we receive whatever we have and how we spend it and do we do it for God or just ourselves. I think Isaac represents to Abraham the promise of future provisions. Am I willing to give away what I have now? Anticipation that God will provide in the future. And I think that's what he was doing when he looked at Abraham. When we look at Abraham and we look at that, he is, he is the provider and, and when I think about that, it's an issue between seeing and believing. I mean, I, it's one thing to say, if I got a million dollars in the bank, <laughs> yeah, I believe God will provide for me. <laughs> it's quite another when there's $5 in the bank that we say the same thing, that God will be the provider. Generosity, I think, flows from a revelation that God will provide. You know the story of Elijah? He comes in the midst of a famine, and he goes to a widow's house, and he asks for some bread. She was preparing the bread for her last meal, last thing they had. But Elijah let her, let her know that if she was to give to the servant of God, that Jehovah Jireh would step up and provide. And so for the price of a loaf of bread, her entire season of provision came. What she did in her generosity provided her future because of Jehovah Jireh, because of what God would do. Three, God's provision is perpetual. God's provision is perpetual. Abraham wouldn't leave the place until he declared it a memorial to Jehovah Jireh, a memorial to, to, to someone who is alive. You will see it in that mountain. It was not a memorial to a dead person. We have a lot of those, right? 
You can go to graveyards. You can go to Washington, D.C. There are a lot of memorials to dead people. But this is a memorial to a living God who provides, provides. He is the provider. He is eternal, and he is unlimited in that provision. His provision will forever be near to those who trust him. How near was God's provision to Abraham when he needed it? Right over there. It was right there. I mean, he didn't see it. He didn't hear it until it was time for him to see it and hear it. Often, I think God surprises us when we discover that his provision is right under our noses. It was there all along. We just didn't know it. I think his provision is now the provision as well as the provider. Uh, I think this is seen in the provision at Calvary, right? Jesus dies for us. Some scholars believe that the place where Abraham was willing to shed his blood of his son is the place where his son's blood was shed. I don't know that. They talk about the location of where it was, and years later, that's where Calvary actually was. Wouldn't it be something? We'll have to get that question answered in heaven, but it would be unbelievable if it was. But the Lamb of God was sacrificed for us. He provided for us. He opened the doors of provision for everything you would need now and forever. I think he's the guarantee of future provisions. When I read Romans 8, 32, that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He is the guarantee of the provision for the future. Each morning, a woman would get up. She would go to her gate, and she would holler, praise the Lord. She lived next door to an atheist, and every morning, the atheist would get up with her and would holler from the other side of the fence, there is no Lord. One day, the believer got up, and after she yelled, praise the Lord, she prayed openly right there, Lord, I'm hungry. Would you please provide something for me to eat? Next morning, she got up, and before she got to the gate on her front porch was sacks of groceries and she cried like she did every morning praise the lord he provided for me some food from the bushes the atheist jumped he said aha god didn't provide that i put it on your porch to which she said praise the lord he provided me food and made the devil pay for it amen god will provide amen let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the provision that you give to us. Help us to see that provision around us, to trust like Abraham trusted. I don't think you'll ever do what you did again to him, but you still ask all of us to take up our cross daily and to follow you. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, thank you for grabbing that. Do you have prayer requests? Uh, some of you heard me say that uh, yesterday Teresa took her mother to the memory care center. And so, you know, now we begin the process of dealing with that portion of their lives. So be in prayer for her and her family as they, as they deal with that. And her mom, and again, her n- mom's name is Bonnie. Bonnie. What other prayer requests do you have this evening?
I'm sure if mom's having stomach trouble, so is the baby. Yeah, yeah, right. Who else? Who else? What other prayer requests do you have tonight? Or praise reports? Yes. Okay. Again, another phase of life that's difficult for family, certainly. Others, any other praise reports or prayer requests? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you've, you've got a trip coming up. You need to be well for the trip. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Certainly pray for that. I've got a couple of children. Well, I think all three of them, matter of fact, have put them out when I go to the dentist. They can't. They are too. I'm the kind of guy who goes, it's right over there, Doc. Here, let me help you. You know, it's like, I, honestly, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be serious. You'll think this is funny, I'm sure. When I go to the dentist and open my mouth, they say something like this. Mr. Harkey, not quite that wide. We've got enough room. So, you know, so I'm I'm fine. I have no problem. Somebody else? Anybody else? Okay, you've got these prayer requests. Let's divide up and find somebody to pray with. And then when you've completed your prayer, I'll, I'll dismiss us.